You are listening to the Living Truth Podcast with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. Please stay tuned to Living Truth as we engage in an in-depth journey of discovery through the discussion of God's Word for the purpose of devotion and godly living. We pray that you would be blessed through today's conversation and that God would sanctify your heart in truth, for His Word is truth. Good afternoon. This is John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. Welcome to Living Truth. We're so glad that you are able to join us today. Uh, today we are continuing our discussion in the book of Jonah, and uh, we're excited about today's discussion. Uh, CL, first of all, how are you doing, brother? I am wonderful. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Now you're you were sick last week, so it's it's good to see the the alive CL because yes, last week you were you were not yourself. So I, I'm glad to see your your bright sunshiny self today. <laughs> Is that a reference to my shirt? That it's everyone, a reference. Um, Obviously, is, there's no no camera in here because your shirt is quite loud, and I'm, <laughs> I should get a pair of, of sunshades because it's very loud. It's he's wearing this bright neon colored Batman shirt, and um, anyway, I won't give him too much of a hard time. But it's good to have you, brother. It's good to be here. So um, we're gonna just uh, go and just jump into the deep end of the pool or ocean real fast because uh, we have a lot to talk about. Um, if this is your first time listening, uh, first of all, thank you for for tuning in. We do appreciate um, our listeners out there, and uh, we like to just uh, talk about the scriptures. We have our our cup of coffee or hot chocolate or whatever with us, and we just love to engage in the Word of God. So if you have your Bible in there, you can or will, uh, should, or you can. We encourage We you encourage you to, to open to the to book of Jonah, and uh, we're in, still in chapter one, and we're still really early in the process. So let me read, starting from verse four, okay? Verse four, it says, now, and the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Now, of course, before this, Jonah had gotten word from God to go preach a message to Nineveh, and instead of going there, Jonah decided to go at the complete opposite direction. He gets on board of a ship that's going to Tarshish, which is nowhere near Nineveh, because Nineveh is to the east inland, and Tarshish, we think, is could be as far as Spain, or it could be Greece or Turkey or somewhere else, but Jonah's going the opposite direction. And so he gets on the ship and verse four says, and the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid and every man cried to his God and they threw the cargo, which was in the ship, uh, they threw it into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, the hold of the ship, and lain down and had fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell onto Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your origin or your country rather? And from what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven and who made the the sea and the dry land. 
Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was free, fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me, this storm has come upon you. Now we're going to stop there because that's a, maybe a good breaking point to talk about Jonah and his actions, of course, as and um, perhaps um, see how the Lord directs our conversation. So anyway, here, so here, Jonah, you know, our, our favorite nonprofit, you know, prophet guy, you know, he's, Jonah is kind of different, isn't he? I mean, he's not the, he's not your typical, okay, Lord, I will do what you say, or Lord, I'm so unworthy. And here's Jonah doing a complete about face to the calling of God, the word of God, the intentions of God, the desire and will of God. So uh, let's talk about that. Well, I think it's important to remember exactly where we are once again, John, and that is we're in the middle of a divine commission. Right. And I think what we're seeing here is very important because what we're going to learn in this verse and in the following verses is um, that you don't take divine commissions lightly. No. God is not someone to be trifled with or to be toyed with. He's not someone to be rejected. I don't want to mention the name of the particular preacher that I heard preach a sermon on this, um, but the preacher actually suggested that um, he wanted to take the um, the awe, the um, his word, not mine, right. the the spookiness out of the divine call, quote mm-hmm. unquote. Right. And he actually um, suggested that there was no consequence to rejecting the call of God that it was actually an option for an individual to either accept it or not accept it. Wow. And I could hardly hold my seat, right? Because I was so agitated and irritated. Um, first of all, insulted for scripture, right. uh, insulted for um, the authority of God, but secondarily, very hurt for those individuals who would dare believe him right. and then reap the consequences on the back end. So I think it's important for people to know that as we're stepping into this, this is not a light matter. This is in the midst of the divine commission. And of course, in verse one, you have the start of the divine commission, right? And of course, then you have in verse um, uh, verses one and two, the, the divine commission being given. And then in verse three, you have um, his rejection of yeah. that divine commission. Yeah. And now what you're going to be in the middle of is a rebuke. Right. And, and, and that's going to be quite um, um, interesting. Well, you know, it's interesting as you, you bring up this, this idea of not realizing or not believing in that God would do something about disobedience or a lack of response to his word or his command or his call. And, and I think part of it is because, you know, we're, we're on this side of the page, so to speak. You know, we're looking at Jonah. Oh, poor guy. He's back then. Well, God doesn't do that anymore. That was, that was then. This is now. And, and, and maybe because of the fact that perhaps a lot of our lives are lived in such a way that we don't really feel we're getting any stormy weather our way, where maybe we are, but we don't understand that the actions of God that come to us um, through circumstances, through, you know, we, we always think that God only speaks, you know, through loud voices out of the air, um, but oftentimes he's speaking to us through circumstances and through people in those circumstances as he does to Jonah here. So maybe there's, because there's a disconnect and not realizing that, uh, like, 
that God is not is not silent. And of course, he throws this huge, I mean, it's in fact, it says in verse four, it says the Lord, Lord, I'm tongue-tied on this, Lord hurled, you know, those two <laughs> words together, but he throws, is what the word, you know, he, he throws this huge, great wind his way. Okay, that tells me right off the bat is, is he's he's not letting this go. That means he is concerned, and so and so, there is a response from God, you know, and and maybe um, maybe we don't realize, you know, okay, this is actually from the Lord, you know, or the Lord's allowing this for to get my attention or whatever, you know. But verse four happens as a response to verse three's. Um, but Jonah rose to flee, and then but. God decided to throw a storm that way. It's the, the the two are battling against each other. You know, there's Jonah and God, Jonah and God. The two are very interconnected. Yeah. <clears throat> and they suggest how, number one, serious the divine commission and the divine call is. Yeah. And I think in modernity with our anti-supernaturalistic perspective, right. particularly in a day where we are quote unquote enlightened. Oh right? yeah. We think that we know better than this and that there are better explanations for some of what we go through. Yeah. And and I think what happens in such a scenario This must have been an El Nino year or something on the Mediterranean, perhaps. <laughs> you know, maybe that's the modern explanation for this great storm. Exactly. We have in in, in modern think and in modern speak, we have naturalistic explanations for why that couldn't be God, even within the body of Christ. Right. And and I think that we are to uh, read this narrative and be in awe. We are to be in shock, and then we are to be warned. We are to ask ourselves the question by the text and by means of the Holy Spirit, uh-oh, there's not something that God is telling me or bidding me to do that I am resistant to. Am yeah. I? Or is it? Because if I am, and if there is, there may be consequences that I'm not paying attention to. And it's not that those consequences will die down or be redefined as um, just naturalistic occurrences, but God will most certainly uh, not be refused, nor will he be resisted. He will get his man. You know, it's interesting is that is that his response to Jonah here and throwing this, of course, he could have caused an angel to appear on the ship and say, hey, Jonah, you know, this is not the way I want you to do, you know, but God doesn't always do that. And it's almost as if God, and he knows, first of all, he knows the, uh, later on, he he understands the reason for the storm. He Because he tells the sailors, you know, it's because it's on account of me, this great calamity has come. But the the response of the Lord here in chasing after and so to speak uh his prophet um he doesn't he doesn't write jonah off and say well okay there's jonah i'll get somebody else gee whiz you know the fact that god even goes through efforts of of turning him around or trying to get his attention to turn him around tells me something about the lord and his desire for jonah okay see because god could if if the, if the issue is just getting a message to nineveh well, God could use a different a different man. He could have caused an angel to appear in Nineveh. He could have chosen some other prophet that would have been, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to go. But it's it's the fact that he still stays with Jonah and getting Jonah to go do what he's supposed to do. He's, I think he's more concerned with the heart of Jonah at this point as well. And he doesn't give up on Jonah, you know. And, of course, the, the storm will get progressively worse and worse. I mean, the sailors were even saying that, that the storm, or even the text says the storm was getting stormier, so to speak. 
it it ought to have gotten his attention. And in fact, I know it it does get his attention, but it's his response. He's still, it's like he's digging in his heels to not want to respond to God. I think what we see uh, being played out before us in this early literature is this concept that C.S. Lewis refers to when he um, is describing the the passionate pursuit of a God who will not be resisted um, in his reference, and I quote, uh, to God as the holy hound, hound dog of, yes. of heaven, yes. right? The holy hound of heaven who, who has the prophet in his scent, yes. and he will not be deterred um, in any way. I think there's something else that's going on. Um, I, I just want to mention something grammatically here because grammatically... When you get to verse 4, there's this very strong um, uh, um, uh, connection betwixt the verses, verses 3 and verse 4. And that connection actually is interesting. It's not as articulated in the English text. It just starts off the Lord, right? Or I am. But in the text, it's uh, vayahava, right? right? Or or, then I am... suggesting that it was in direct response to or connection to his resistance, namely, remember the pretext, to run from the presence of the Lord. Well, it starts off the same way that verse 3 starts off, too. The the but Jonah, and uh, the order of the the sentence is different uh, than normal, even in this verse, where the the subject... See, in English, it's subject, verb, predicate, you know, or or object, whatever, you know, but in, in Hebrew, it's normally... Verb, then subject, right. then object. Right? Well, now the the writer has changed it so that's like English, subject, then verb, which tells you he's emphasizing the actions of God, but in contrast to Jonas. He's actually, it, it's interesting because the, the literary author has actually switched subjects. Yeah. In his disobedience, Jonah was the subject, but in his discipline, I am becomes the subject. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's also important to point out, John, that that um, I am is not simply the subject, but the name for I am that's employed here is right. so important. Right. Because we're not looking at him strictly in his power, even though he's going to illustrate right. um, ex, uh, extraordinary power in the next verses, right? So that's, and that's, that's a good point. He's using the name, the covenantal name right. of 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 God. Uh, this covenantal name, I am, right, which which would have spoken back to the the Israeli as a not a distant name, but a connected name, a name in which they had covenantal relationship and 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 an so, involvement with. So what you're saying here is okay. The writer uh, of the writer here could have used say Elohim. He could have used Elohim to argue for his raw power. Right, he could have said, then God, Elohim, threw this great storm or wind and just to show the power of God, you know, and that would have been scary, but he uses Yahweh or the or Hashem, the, the sacred name yes. of the Lord, which speaks of his relational name, this covenant faithfulness name to Israel. So in one sense, he's using his power, but in order to elicit a closer relationship with his people... And get their and get his attention. So he's not coming it as like he's throwing thunder and lightning their way to scare him off. He's more using the the great storm to sort of get his attention because he still wants to draw Jonah back into the fold, so to speak. You know? Well, I think what's really important to point out here, John, is this, namely, that even when the believer is under the discipline of God, yeah, 
And even when God is employing what can seem like uh, very strong means to get our attention and to draw us back to the place of fellowship and intimacy, yeah. his discipline is being realized upon us through his loving covenantal hand. Right. And in one sense, you could say, maybe in today's terminology, you have the parent and the child, and the, and the parent has is allowed the child to make their decision and there's there's consequences, let's say, of this of that decision, okay, um, and yet they lovingly want to course correct to their child, you know, and and, um, and we we call it discipline, we, uh, discipline um, meaning to teach, you know, to instruct, right. you know, right. not to punish, and so God, in one sense, here is He's allowed. Okay, Jonah's made his decision to go the opposite direction. Okay, here's what it's going to look like, Jonah. It's going to look st- very stormy wet. Stormy weather for you, and it's not going to get better, and you know that. And and so there's this, there's this play, there's a, there's this battle between the wills. Of course, God's going to win, you know. And Jonah, he can only go so far. I mean, he he, and we'll see this in the text. He sort of becomes on a goes on a downhill spiral. Yes. Down, 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 down. So uh, to the point where he just is a nothing, basically, where God still is still is doing everything he can to to get his attention, and Jonah is decides to just close himself off because he knows that God's pursuing him. He knows what God wants him to do, and yet he still is not willing to make that change. And towards maybe until he's in the in the belly of the fish, but there's this battle of wills, you know. That's going on. Yeah, I think that the language of this first line is also a an uh, literary device yeah. that of allusion, if you will. Yes, both allusion to the Genesis narrative, but also to ancient Near Eastern deistic narratives. Right, right, right. And and what I mean is that. What you're now going to see is an allusion back to this covenantal God who is sovereign over all creation right? I mean, and over the elements of creation and, in fact, is able to employ them contra the, the false deities of ancient Near Eastern literature, the Atrahasis, right. the Enuma Elish. Right. Um, uh, Those are Babylonian... Right, tales or, deities yeah. yes. and and or tales and and they deal with deities and things of that nature who who wrestle right. with um, the elements of creation um, and and do not necessarily employ them with ease. Sometimes they actually become the victims of them or they struggle with them as great monstrosities. But here they become the tools of I am yeah. uh, for discipline. So what the false deities wrestle with as monstrosities. Monstrosities, I am simply employs as tools in his arsenal for um, the the restoration of the prophet uh, and uh, to his commission, as it were. Now, what's interesting is in the text uh, it says, and that there was a great storm on the sea. And of course, it starts off by talking about this great wind, which yes. you, we were just alluding to. And obviously, back in the Genesis creation narrative, you have the presence of wind or the power of God or the wind of God. Um, bringing something out of, out of nothing or bringing uh, order out of chaos, so to speak. You know, the, the, the earth was uh, uh, formless and void, you know, and darkness is over the, you know, that's the idea. And perhaps God is able, you know, God is going to be able to bring sort of order out of chaos here in 
in this situation that Jonah is facing. What's interesting is if we can just contextualize this to today, oftentimes we go through storms. We face great storms for whatever reason, whether we are the Jonah that's running from God or whether we are an innocent bystander like a sailor on the ship that happens to be going through somebody else's storm, but yet it's affecting us. Um, we often go through those storms and we don't understand, okay, Lord, what's what's going on? Where where are you at or why is this, you know? And we have to understand that God's kill, uh, kill, excuse me, I'll cut that out. God can still <laughs> bring order out of that chaos uh, that he's allowed in your life, you know? And we often want, as Christians, smooth sailing. We often want nothing bad to happen, you know? We try our best to protect us from any storms from happening, but for some reason, God is sovereign and he allows certain things to happen. And later on, we'll see how how people react to those storms. Jonah reacts one way. He decides to go down, run, run, run. The sailors and the captain react another way. Even the ship has a reaction to the storm. Even the ship, uh, it says in this verse, that that the great storm is on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. It says it was in English, but the Hebrew the reads Hebrew it differently. It's very different. Yeah, that's that's going to be quite un- exciting to unpack in a few minutes because because there are there are things that are happening within this narrative yeah. that are quite shocking that that the English text just cannot communicate. No, no. Right? Um, <clears throat> but as you're looking at this verse... When you come to this section where I am hurled a great win, I am is also seen in the context of the warrior king in yes. the ancient Near East. Yeah. So that in Jonah's resistance to him, he stands not simply as the one commissioning the prophet, but now he stands as the one who is willing to position himself against the obstinance right. of the prophet, yeah. and he's going to do so as the divine warrior king, and he's going to now bring his weapons uh, to bear um, in order to correct his course. And whereas the divine warrior king in the ancient Near East either had a spear right. or a sword, there is an aspect of sovereignty that is even hinted at in the weaponry that is employed here. Because God is not so frivolous or menial that he needs a spear or a sword. Right. He has at his own charge the very win. Yeah, even the seas and the wind obey him. That's extraordinary. <laughs> but you know what's interesting is... and. And you can look at it from two different standpoints here, because you have the the word for hurl, throw. Yes, it's uh, it's the word tool. Yes, in Hebrew, and it often means it's often used in a punitive sense, where God is 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 going to throw hurl or throw Judah in exile. Okay, or he's going to throw you know Pharaoh to the ground or Jehoiakim to to exile. Right. So in one sense, he's he does that in response to say, the disobedience of Judah, you know, or, or of or Pharaoh, right? Um, but here in this context, I don't think it's punitive because, I mean, in one sense, it feels punitive to, to Jonah, but as you see this word being used in this chapter, it is not only used by God of throwing the storm to this, uh, to, towards Jonah, it's used of the sailors of throwing their cargo overboard. It's used of when the when he tells, "Hey, throw me overboard, and the sea will be calm." So, in one sense, um, those two other cases are are used for salvific manner. They're trying; the sailors are trying to save themselves. They're going to throw the, their cargo overboard in order to make the sea calm down. And Jonah says, "Well, throw me overboard." Same word, 
in order to save yourselves and, and the, the sea will become calm. So there's this double, there's this double edged use of the word. It could be what punitive, we refer yes. to as a double entendre. Yes. It's, it's a double usage it of is. the terminology. Ultimately, you know, Jonah is, um, he gets, he understands why it's there. And I don't think, um, God is, God could have said, I'm going to throw Ju- uh, Jonah overboard, you know, or I'm going to throw, but rather he throws a storm at Jonah to get his attention but his his whole desire in all of this is to really to rescue and save Jonah to get Jonah to turn around. You know, of course that's going to happen over the course of the next few verses. But um, but it ultimately shows that that God is in control and that He is He is He's um, um, He is in control of the the sea and the wind. But also the fact that He does not give up on Jonah. He is still focused on okay. There's my prophet. He's running away from me. I'm not letting him get away, and I'm going to make life very difficult for him, but I still have a purpose for him to turn around, because his purpose is not to destroy Jonah. His, his purpose is not to kill Jonah. Um, his purpose is to get Jonah to turn around and to and to use him and, and to change his heart. And that often takes, there's this wrestling match between he and God, you know, God and, and God and Jonah, that we'll see throughout the rest of the of this, uh, this uh, the book of Jonah, and to the point where at the end of the story, we don't exactly know where Jonah ends up in his life, but we do know that God has not um, given up on him. He has still uh, used him and still questioned him and, and still wants him to understand his own heart, God's own heart, that is, to uh, to see people the way he sees. He wants his prophet and his people to see people the way he sees it, people. Absolutely. So, so if we had to pick, is it, is it, is it, judgment or is it salvific yeah the either or is inappropriate here right it's not hard and fast like right. that it is actually salvation by correction yeah right and so you're seeing that wonderful symphonic dance that's taking place here um how is he going to save him by correcting him yeah because if he wants to destroy him um this whole book would look very different oh no that right? yeah that would be so different god doesn't miss his mark when he th- hurls a win no right so it's really important and and i think it's, for you the- know it's you know it's like it's like you you the i don't know i'm not in the navy but when they they decide to shoot you know a a, a, a warning shot a warning shot this is a warning shot so to speak you know <laughs> you know and and if i if i if i want to i I could have destroyed you. Hit my mark. Hit your mark. You know, God doesn't mess. Um, But I I just, I'm just thinking about the the nature of God and his, his dealings with runaway, his dealings with stubborn people or maybe people that, that, that want to run uh, as we, we talked about in previous episodes about what are you running from? Um, The idea of the heart of God to his, his heart is really for our, for our good. And, and uh, and sometimes uh, there's a there's a wrestling match. There's a you know there's a there's a there's a battle of the wills. You know and um, yeah, he definitely wants us. The author definitely wants us to see the the severe wrestling match betwixt Jonah and I am. Yeah. In these verses and and what the reader doesn't want to predict. Somehow I'm I'm sorry I'm not picturing Macho Libre in the wrestling thing. So <laughs> I know the, the wrestling ring just kind of threw me off. You know, in one corner is <laughs> the guy with the mask. You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was so good. Yeah, sorry. 
So now you've got me like on Randy Macho Man Savage. <laughs> oh yeah, God, that's yeah. oh, that's terrible. Anyway, so so so, I think it's important for me to understand that there's far more tension in this text than than I'm just reading. Yeah, it's a tension that can be felt, and 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 there are so many things in this that really should be 4D for us, right? As yeah. we're reading it, because when the text, as you pointed out, the 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 usage of hurl. What is the force of hurl, right? Yeah. The force of hurl is the same sort of force that is employed when Saul, the irritated yeah. king, is hurling a spear, at same word, yep. at the individual that he knows God has ordained to be king, right? Yeah. So so when they when the sailors feel the power of this hit the ocean. They know that they're not playing with something or someone that's frivolous. They know that there's extraordinary power, intention, and purpose behind this. So the text says, I am hurled a great wind, right? Uh, um, uh, it's this word, gadol. Uh, so you have this idea of the force of the hurl, but then you have the description of the nature of the hurling of the wind. It is not something that's that's minute. It is mighty in its result and in its force. Uh, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just thinking, because obviously we're talking about Jonah and the Lord, and that happened thousands of years ago. I'm I'm just thinking about, you know, as people are listening, um, the idea of running from God hmm. and what lengths you have gone to run from God and the, the, the attempts that you have tried to run from God and the, 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 the sort of ways that you try to escape from God. The, the depths that you will go to not want to hear God, um, avoiding his people, avoiding uh, where you know his people gather, or avoiding any mention of God. And just, you're trying to suppress any mention of the Lord because you know what, really what has to happen. Absolutely. And what the, 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 the capacity here of Jonah and the capacity of the human heart when it, when it stubbornly does not want to face certain things or is, you know, um, unwilling. I mean, here you're running the opposite direction and you know that God has placed storms in your life and the, and it's as if the storms won't go away. They won't stop. They'll continue until something happens in your heart that changes. May I state that from a different sure. vantage point, John? Yeah, because you're over there, I'm over here, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I want to state that from a different vantage point. To the, to the reader, right, if I'm reading this story, yeah. and I've read verse one, verses two, three, and now I'm in four. If I'm not careful, I can look at that and say, gee, that's a bit drastic, God. Yeah. That that's that's a That's a bit strong. I mean, he just barely started his trip. Yeah. Here's what a person should really ask. Why does God seem to start at what appears to be extreme weaponry, right. strong weaponry? Because God doesn't always start that way. No. Right? If you're talking about Moses, he actually has a conversation. 
right? right? If you're talking about Jeremiah, he says, say not that you're a youth. God doesn't always start in this way. So so why start with this? So strong. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, that for me, I have to look at the larger context yes. and realize yeah. that if you're going through a big storm, you probably have big obstinance. Yeah. That's true, and like with with Jeremiah, God, I'm a I'm a, I can't I'm a youth. Who am I, right? Moses, I stutter, you right? Know? Um, you know the lack of confidence. There are these these fears, these these self doubts, so to speak. That you know, Gideon, I'm I'm hiding out. I'm you know threshing wheat in a wine press so nobody can see me. Uh, I'm by the I'm the youngest in my tribe, so to speak. You know. Whereas Jonah is an established prophet, right, and and he knows better, and but it seems like there's a as you as you just said, the obstinate is even greater. Yeah, he has this this stubbornness, this resistance, this if if you will attitude that is going to be revealed even more throughout the verses. Yeah. In fact, what's interesting to me, and I and I don't want to go too far ahead. But this man is not going to pray, even though pagans no. yeah. push him to pray yeah. with an imperative, and even though he's thrown into the sea, this guy, he refuses to talk to God. Nope. You're going to go through chapter one, and if, and if the reader knows, notices something, God is the one that talks to him. For the rest of chapter one, he'll talk about God yep. under, 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 under being... Yes pushed to yes. do so, yeah. right? Yeah. Under under interrogation. But he's not going to talk so, to so, God. So then here's a question, though. Because, you know, many times when people are like that, they're mad at God. Yes. They're, they're, they're like, forget you, God, you know, because you didn't do such, you know, whatever. You know, here he seems to be mad at God. He's mad because God is going to be gracious to a people that he doesn't like, you know. But some people... Are mad at God because maybe perceived hurts or you know things that God has allowed in their life, and they're angry at God. And and I understand we we've all gone through gone through difficult times and hurts, and we also often wonder and say, Lord, why did you allow me to do it? We'll go through that, you know. And you could have did something, uh, you could have done something to to stop that, you know. And so there is there's that natural, you know, wrestling as far as why God, you know. A question of evil and things like that, you know, and so some people just become just mad at God, and they're just angry because God didn't do what they, you know, basically they're they're upset because God didn't listen to them, and that's where where a lot of people are at. Jonah, I think, is is sort of there, but there, there's you know there's this um, he's angry because he's angry that God is so gracious, which is different, you know. Yeah, so I think in this instance, what really helps me, John is to remember this, that the extremity of God's disciplinary weaponry will be fit to and match the level of my resistance, my disobedience, my obstinance. And so if I want God to soften his approach, I need to soften my heart. You know, what I think is interesting about this is that the storm that God throws at Jonah... Uh, how can I put this? It's not undervalued or underused, because in one sense it's intended for Jonah for one purpose, but it also serves a very good purpose with the people around him. Yes, here for Jonah is intended to get his attention to turn around and repent and things like that. 
But now it's used for the sailors that are there, and they're in the same storm, only the intention or the purposes of God are, they're, they're going to cry out to God. They're going to say, the pagan is going to tell the believer to start praying. The ship, as we just said, realizes that, that something's up with the storm. The sailors know that something's up with the storm to the point where they're crying out to God and they're saying, Jonah, please pray, pray to your God. Maybe he'll be gracious to us because, by the way, our God doesn't listen to us. And you know, and, and so what one, one thing for Jonah, what the same storm means one thing for one person. It's an, it has a different role or purpose or is used in a different way for other people. Here you have at the end of the day, you have the sailors at the end of the day are going to worship God. They're they're crying out to uh, to, to to God. They're they're going to uh, offer sacrifice afterwards. And and what's interesting is that they're more willing to hear the message of God than the messenger of God is willing to give the message. Yes, yes. And I think about. I wonder as a Christian today. I'm so like you're. You know, I'm I'm supposed to share the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and sometimes I, I look at other people and say, well, you know, I'm too afraid or whatever it is. And my unwillingness, not realizing that maybe God has already prepared them to really, really be receptive towards it, you know, that, that they really want to believe. Would you just invite me to church? Will you just tell me the gospel? I really want to believe. I know you, you have the good news. And yet my own unwillingness sort of, I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for, but it's, it's like they're ready, but I'm re- they're ready to receive it, but I'm not ready to deliver it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And it's and and as if to say, and sometimes it's a fear. Sometimes it's like, well, they're not going to want to listen to me, you know, uh, because I, you know, and as if to think that I'm the difference maker. Whereas God has already prepared their hearts. I think it's amazing here that both here in the first chapters with the sailors, and of course later in the book with the Ninevites themselves, that God's already prepared their hearts. It's just the willingness of of the believer to share what God has given them to share, you know, given us to share. Absolutely. In, in looking at this text, so we see the covenantal name of God, this yeah. discipline and corrective activity is being meted out by a covenantal God within the framework of covenant, now, right? Just, let's just, just pause real fast, because a lot of people don't, when we say covenantal name, covenantal, let's, let's define that more closely, because that's a... That's a big theological term that you and I understand, but let's break it down to sort of everyday English. What does that mean when we say that? Well, there's one aspect in which God made an agreement, a promise based upon himself with the nation through their father Abraham, right? Right. Um, a, 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 A connection, if you will, that was completely based upon his grace, and his choice concerning them, not because they were worthy, not because they were the greatest or the biggest or the mightiest or anything of that nature, just because it was his good pleasure to actually show compassion on a, a nation that was probably the most pitiable out of all of the other nations, okay? So one aspect is a, a covenant based solely on the shoulders of God. Right. But then God makes an agreement with the nation. An agreement that has stipulations that he is to uphold, 
and stipulations that they are to uphold. Right. And of course, that uh, introduces the Deuteronomic blessings and curses that we have in chapters 28 through 30 of the Deuteronomic text or the book of Deuteronomy, right? right. Wherein God says, if you will be obedient, then I will bless you in this way. I right. will uphold the blessed aspect of the covenantal or uh, agreement. But if you do not obey me, then I will uphold the disciplinary aspects of our agreement so, with one another. So the the, the name, the, the the sacred name, Yahweh or Hashem, as the Hebrews like to, uh, Jewish people like to call uh, the Lord, this is his name that speaks of him keeping his part of the of the agreement, so to speak. He's a promise keeping God. He's keeping yes. his promises. And by the way, this name is also used in connection with humanity, right? right. The first time we see this used in the Genesis text right. is when we see man come on the scene, right. right? So this is a name that would suggest God is endeared right. in his connection toward um, the, the human creature. Right. And so it is distinct, but then this name and this connection takes on greater distinction and value as he particularizes See. that relationship with the people for redemptive purpose. So this, this, in one sense, this is communicating the, the fact that God is keeps his promises but he's a relational god yes he keeps his promises but he's a he he's interested in people he's interested in you as an individual and keeping what he has prom promised and said um in, in the scriptures he's not this distant god that's out he's not cold he's not he's, aloof he's not aloof he's not he's very connected he's very which tells you that of course he is very much interested in your life he's very much in control of your life, and he's not—he's um, not the parent that is the absentee parent. He's the parent that's very much involved in their ch in his children, and he knows what each child needs, you know, and and he knows where each child is going, you know, and 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 sort of uh, understands the ways of his children, and of course the obstinate ones, <laughs> you know, the stubborn ones. He uh, he works especially in a different way. Yeah, his one of his names is not simply Emmanuel. Right. That is also his nature. Right. It, it is it is this God Emmanuel meaning God with God us. God with us. Yeah. It is this God who makes arrangements from the Genesis narrative yeah. to be with humanity. Right. Um, this is how the book is going to close, by the way, in the book of Revelation. Yeah. That yeah. God is going to permanently be with man. Yeah. Right? Uh, this is this is what it looks like within the realization of the gospel narrative. Right? I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you to the end of the ages. So so this particular name summates and highlights, highlights that very nature of God. Namely, when we're speaking of the covenantal God, he is the God who gives us agreement or stipulations that will allow him to safely be in our midst. You know, and, and I know this is maybe not on topic as far as Jonah, but the fact that, you know, some pe people might say, well, why doesn't God just make us, like, you know, like that, you know, make us to be obedient to make us to be loving to him, you know, and that kind of, you know, just really shorten the story, you know, and, and not go through this all to... Um, you know, why aren't we at the end of the revelation right now? You know, and, and why doesn't God just wipe away? All the... Well, God respects, obviously, the, the, the human human being that he's made as far as the choice he's given, the will he's given him. And there's a, there's a, the relationship aspect, the, the relate, he's not, he's made us robots, you know, and, and that gets into a whole nother discussion of free will and things like that. So which 
I, I don't want to. I don't want to open up the can of worms right now. So maybe I should <laughs> close it before. No, but you visited that Pandoric box. So you yeah, have to because at least say something. But about the it. idea, the idea that that God is in relationship with people, and He has decided, as in any relationship that you have with, with another human being, another person, there's a give and take. There's a there's an understanding. There's there's you know you you be, you're married, let's say, and you have your spouse who's She's a female and you're a male and she's different than you. She has different giftings and different personality, different likes perhaps, you know, and you have enough in common. And then there's give and take, you know, there's adapt, learning to adapt, learning to say, oh, okay, we'll, we'll take it your way. Or, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Or, or um, learning to, to be respectful and responsive to their needs, you know, putting their needs above your needs, you know, and there's this thing that happens, you know, in your heart as you just, you know, cause sometimes you, you want to have your way, you know, and you, you know, you fold your arms, you say, well, it's my way. No, no, it's my way, you know, and, and there's a relationship there. there there's, 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 you know, the, um, what's the word, um, the clashing, there's nothing happens, you know, and so in a, a true relationship, there's, there's a give and take, there's a growth, there's a, there's a journey that happens together, you know, and good things happen through that journey, you know, and, and over time, as a human being, you sort of, you, you sort of learn what the other person likes or you learn um, um, what their desires are and, and they learn what your desires are and you sort of, you know, you give of, of yourself to another, let's say in a, in a marriage situation where, well, here with God, you know, it's the same thing. You know, we, we're not eternal beings in the sense that we're not like God, like unending frontwards and backwards, you, you know, we have unconditional eternality. Right. We're, we're, you know, we're eternal beings in the sense that we have a, a definite beginning but we're not, you know, omnipresent and, you know, we're not divine in that sense. We're not, you know, we're human. But so we go through time, a progression of, of, of sequential uh, time elements or whatever, you know, and, and we learn new things of God, you know, and we, we have this journey with God, you know, and there's times where we go the wrong direction and we, oh, there's a storm that way. Oh, I better turn around, you know, and there's, you know, there's this give and take, you know, there's this growth that happens, you know. In, in in our relationship with God or growth that happens in hopefully normal friendships, you know, that's normal, you know. And so God, and I guess my whole point is that God sees that in the course of human history and allows that to, ha- allows that to play out, so to speak, naturally, you know, because it, it would, it's more beneficial or more, it's a better way than if he were to snap his fingers and say, oh, instantly you love me, you know. Does that make sense? Yeah. May I restate that? Yeah, please restate, because I know I was rambling all on and on. That God has freely chosen to relate to man. See, this is why you need to be on Twitter. (laughs) Because you're loquacious in a lot of ways, but you're able to sync things, you know, to 140 characters or less, you know, so. I don't know about that. I'm going to start a campaign. (laughs) C.L. Mitchell on on Twitter. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) God has chosen freely not under duress or under force, to relate to man. Yeah. But because he has chosen to freely do that, by his choice, he has also bound himself right. to that decision to relate to man. And But God has also chosen that man would be able to freely relate to him. But, but hold on, let me just... T- Go ahead. The, the statement you just said, that he has chosen to relate to man... It's interesting that Jesus Christ became a human being, and he is still a human being now. 
In other words, he, for all of eternity, he'll be the God man. He'll be the God man, and the relatability of us to uh, uh, to God is very unique. And it will. It's not like he became a man just for the short period of time on this earth, and then say, "Okay, I no more." He decided. He's so committed to relationship with man that he would decide to take on flesh for all of etern- the rest of eternity. Yeah, and the reason why he's he's bound to that is because he chose to be bound to right. that, right? He's not bound to that, and so then he just simply agrees. Right. No, he chose to do that, yeah. thus his choice binds him willingly out of love, right? Right. But then he has also chosen the means or methodology whereby man would be connected to him in relationship. Right. And out of all of the infinite possibilities that he could have chose, he wisely, of his own free sovereign choice, chose that we would have a freedom within that choice. Now, that freedom does not beg nor abrogate God's sovereignty. His sovereignty is the overarching, um, if you will, fence in which our choices are made. And our choice does not disturb his sovereignty, but his, uh, but his, his sovereignty involves interacts with our choice. So at the end of the day, it will be said that we made a free choice within the framework of, or within the fence of his choice. And his choice has both bound he and us to a relatedness that is most glorious. And it is more glorious than had he done this in a different way, which by the way, was at his infinite disposal to have done. Now, Going back to Jonah, yes. in light of all this, God freely choosing to use a man like Jonah to be his prophet, who's as stubborn as he is, <laughs> who's as will, unwilling as he is to go deliver. I mean, here's, here's a, a prophet of God who's unwilling to be the prophet of God, you know? And yet, in light of all this, the fact that God has chosen to, to not only have a relationship with Jonah... But to use him, and but knowing where he is at in his heart, it gives me. First of all, it gives me hope, because here's here's um, here's Jesus, and he appears to Saul of Tarsus, knocks him off his donkey, so to speak, you know, off his camel, whatever he's riding, his horse, whatever it was, and decides to use this man, Saul of Tarsus, the 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 most you know the, the enemy of the state, so to speak, the enemy of the church, and use him to be the greatest. Apostle of of history, right? Um, this is this sp- speaks of God's grace in such a way that He doesn't just use those who are willing. Yes, He wants, but He uses those who are <laughs> so unwilling. He uses those who are who nobody would say, "Oh yeah, use him." You know, if they had a committee in 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 uh, in in, uh, in Israel at the time. You know who would be the greatest, you know, disciple. You know, of course, they're arguing with Jesus, who's his greatest disciple. You know, none of the guys would 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 pick Saul, right? Yeah, I, nobody I, would pick him. I think the phenomena of this verse and this book, from a divine perspective, John, is this: that Jonah doesn't surprise God by his obstinance. That God knew this when yeah. he gave him a successful prophecy concerning Jeroboam II earlier in 2 Kings, right? Yeah. That God was already cognizant of this. In other words, um, I, I had a friend who's now with the Lord, uh, the believer at rest, Bishop Moore, 
And he once said this in a sermon, God is the only one who prides himself in taking real estate that no one else cares for. That's right. That's good. That's right? good. Profound statement. And, and, and my argument is, whatever we will see of Jonah does not surprise God. Right. And yet God chose him. By the way, may I just move Jonah to the side? Sure. Um, not to dismiss him or belittle him, but to join him and say, sir or ma'am, Right? You're there and you're saying, why would God want to use me? Right. Whatever you're involved in, whatever you want to do for God or do not want to do for God, whatever weakness you have or or incapacity you think is holding you back, God counted that into his calling. Yeah. God counted that into his commission. In fact, it may be because of that very weakness that he wants you so that in Pauline speak, right? In your weakness, he would show himself strong. Right. For his grace is sufficient for you, as in this First Testament book, his grace will demonstrate itself to be sufficient in the obstinate prophet. You know, it's interesting is that if they had a committee of, of prophets back in Israel in Jonah's time, and if God were to say, would you pick Jonah? None of those guys would pick Jonah. Yeah, he's not the guy on your team, is he? Yeah, he's, uh, oh, Jonah, I don't, no, you're not the guy. I'm sorry. You just don't fit the bill. You know, um, Saul Tarsus, you don't fit the bill. Uh, Peter, you know, everybody else that God chooses, you know. It's interesting that so many times that our past, we think our past determines our future. We think that our our failures determine that. We think that other people's opinions determine that. The fact is that it's God who determines your destiny, not the people, not their opinions, mm. not your past. Well said. Not what not what you think of yourself, not other people think of yourself. It's God's the one who determines your destiny. And God is not married to to other people's opinions of you. He's not he's not uh, he's not limited by that. Um, the fact that God delights in using the most unqualified people, you know, the, the phrase goes that God doesn't call the equip, he equips the called is true, you know? Um, and so many times, you know, whereas other people may look at you and say, uh, I can't see how God can use that guy, him, no way. He's, he's not gifted enough. Um, it's, it's easy to fall into that trap. You could be the prophet Samuel and think, Jesse, show me your boys. Oh, this first one. He's tall, tall, dark, and handsome. Must be him. Nope, 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 nope. And even David's own dad. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I had another son. Gee whiz, I have another one, you know? And God says, that's the boy. That's the man I'm going to use, you know? That tells you something that, that their opinion is not even a prophet of God had until God said, this is the man uh, or this is the this is the one I'm cho- I'm choosing. It is God who determines your future, not other people. M- may I join you in that, John? Please join me. And give me the Twitter version of that. No, no, <laughs> because you've mentioned the externalities, right? Yes. The external factors. It's not people. It's not this or that. Yeah. I want to speak about the person, sir. God doesn't consult with your age before He chooses you. Yeah. God doesn't consult with your age 
in order to determine whether or not he's through with you. I, I know. I, I feel by the Spirit of God that I'm speaking to individuals who believe I'm just at that stage where I'm almost done. Mm. I, I'm not so sure about that because some of the most effective people in Scripture were individuals who were beyond the stage that we would have said they are viable and vibrant, right? Um, is it possible for God to choose a man to be the father of the nation when he is clearly into the years of retirement? I'm referring to Abram. Is it possible for God to choose a man to be the leader of two to three million people when he's clearly over the age of modern retirement? I'm referring to Moses. By the way, let's go further than that. God doesn't consult with your age. He doesn't even consult with your handicap. Whatever you think is a good reason for you to stop, or whatever you believe is a valid reason for your disqualification, it may be the very thing that God says, that surely will be the very thing that will clearly communicate to the world that glory is not to be found in that person but it's to be found in the God who has used that person. So I think it's important for individuals to know here in this text, it's an obstinate prophet, right? Um, uh, in, in, in the Genesis narrative, it's an aged man, right? right? In, in the Exodus text, it's an aged shepherd who has given up on his dreams because come on, 80, I haven't seen it yet. What are the chances that I'll see it happen now? Here's what you confuse, sir or ma'am. You think God needs a lot of years to make your years great. The truth of the matter is he's God of time, not you. Mm. So, so, so why don't we agree to do this? Why don't we agree to not, in the youth of our life, hand God our resume as though it qualifies for us for something extraordinary? And then why don't we agree in our age at years of life not to just put our resume under our folder and kind of walk away with our head down because we see all of these young, equipped, non-white-haired, non-handicapped people whose, whose skin is not beaten on by the sun or wrinkled, whose hair is not whitened or grayed, whose backs are not bent, who have not had the disappointments in life that we have and they are sitting in the office and we know that these are the guys that God's going to hire. Sir, ma'am, why don't you just sit down in the office of prayer? And why don't you let God decide who's best for the job? Because if you still feel an ignited fire for whatever it is that God called you to do, yes, you, sitting there somewhere on the, on the, on the fifth row of, of the pew, saying, let God use the young people now. Let God use this person or that person but you still feel an irresistible, non-quenchable fire ignited in your soul and you're still dreaming and you're still having thoughts about God employing you to do something great, just remember this. God's not counting your birthdays. God is the one continuing to give, give you many days or at least a few days in which to be efficacious and make a difference. So my statement is God considered all of this when he called you. 
And obviously, if he considered it, he knows just how it's going to work in his plan for your life. Thank you again for listening to Living Truth with John Core and C.L. Mitchell. If you would like to hear this podcast again or previous episodes, you may do so at passionforhisword.com. That's passionforhisword.com. You may also like us on Facebook at Living Truth Radio Broadcast. That's Living Truth Radio Broadcast. Again, our prayer for you is that God would sanctify you in truth, for His Word is truth.